Hey, Diversity Disruptors, how are you doing today? It has been such a ride of 2020, but here we are almost closing it out. And I decided I wanted to have a chat with you. We have just finished this election cycle. It has been probably the most unusual election cycle that any of us has ever seen, but we've made it through it. And so today I decided to just kind of talk about the results of the election and the impact that it has on women. So this is not a political uh, conversation where I'm going to talk about uh, why uh, Trump was good for women or why Biden was good for women. But this is a conversation about where we are today. Biden has won. He is the president-elect. And Kamala Harris has made history. And I find it so interesting as I look at my newsfeed. It's all about Kamala Harris. I don't think I've seen but maybe one or two posts congratulating uh, Joe Biden, the president-elect. But most of my posts are about how Kamala has made history as the first woman as vice president, as the first African-American woman, as the first Asian woman, you know, and all her quotes and the various things that she says and all the various means. So it's such an exciting time for women. Because that ceiling that we kept thinking and saying it was the concrete ceiling, well, while it has not actually been shattered, but it's definitely we're a lot closer than we have ever been before to actually shattering that ceiling. And, you know, we have to thank all the women who have come before uh, Kamala in this opportunity and the women who have come before not necessarily just as vice president, but also a president. We know we had Geraldine Ferraro. We also had Sarah Palin, who also were the two first, the two of the first women who were up for vice president. We also have to thank Shirley Chisholm, who ran for president, and definitely Hillary Clinton, who also recently ran for president. So these women have each been making their own little cracks at that impossible ceiling that we see, but we realize that it's no longer impossible. It is possible for us to crack that ceiling as well. And so today we're just going to look at what does the Biden-Harris administration really mean to us as women? What does it mean to us in terms of policy? What could we we be looking forward to? And I want us to look at it, of course, through our diversity lens. As we know what's about to unfold, um, we know what the campaign promises are. And we're going to take a little glimpse also at what's going to happen in the next 100 days. This way, you're positioning yourself as for 2021 as someone who is ready to be able to prepare your clients, to prepare your organization to align with some of the changes and the policy changes we expect to come out of this administration and places where there may be gaps where you could have to fill in yourself. Because we know that it was women who voted Biden in. He had an overwhelming um support. Now, when I say overwhelming, we almost think like, oh, wow, you know, all women voted for him. We we know that that's not necessarily true. And we know that it's not even the support that they actually thought it was going to be a landslide in women voters. But he did lead with women and women did have a major part in getting him in that seat. And black women had an even greater part as well. But the question now is now what? So now what can we expect? 
you know, if you look at Biden's campaign platform, um, you know, it had areas that were very central, of course, that pretty much every uh, campaign would have the economic security, health care, violence in navigating work and family. Those were the areas that were really speaking to women. Because what we know is that when women vote, it, it is around healthcare. I mean, we're concerned about our healthcare, not only for ourselves, but also for our children, our family members. And because we are the number one caregivers, we realize the impact of not having a good healthcare plan, what it really means to us and what it could mean to our finances. And so this is something that was very uh, important to women as well as education um, and looking at education from the perspective of not just a public school, but looking how with pre-K, when we're looking at the services that are provided and all the way up to college. And those are some of the things that Biden's administration actually addressed. He basically positioned himself to really target women because he knew these are the things that women were very interested in. So let's talk about some of the big promises he made on his campaign, um, what he said he was going to do and what he really ran his campaign on. So all of us knew how many times he talked about the coronavirus and how, if he was president, what he would be doing and what he would do on day one. And one of those things was building a task force. He said day one, he was going to build a task force. Now, what does that mean to us as women? Because coronavirus, um, it's not what you would call a traditional women issue if you just look at it when you're talking about women's issues. But we know that corona, this virus this co- has disproportionately impacted women. And so because of that, this is a woman's issue. This is something that has to be fixed and addressed if we want to see something different happening for women. Because not only has it impacted us, you know, um, economically, when you look at 10.1 million jobs since February have been lost and 54.5% of the people who lost those jobs were women. We have got to do something. We have to look at why that's happening. And it's happening partially because 90% of the frontline jobs are held by women, right? Um, so let's look at it from both ways. We were impacted because we're out there on the front lines. We were the caregivers, the healthcare givers, the retail workers. We were still going to work. And then the ones of us who were not still going to work lost our jobs. And so we have to look at this issue. We cannot ignore it. The coronavirus has actually impacted us in our homes in ways that we did not even imagine it that it would. You know, we thought that, hey, it was on the outside. We're going to come inside and shelter in and protect ourselves, self-quarantine. But so many women saw an increase in domestic violence because of it. So this virus is serious and it needs to be solved if we're going to see something different for women. Women have been burdened with childcare in a way that it's unimaginable for not only being able to take care of their children while they were working from home, but those who had to go to work, that 90% who had to go to work and then didn't have childcare for when they went to work. So this has really been an upset. So we're really 
you know, happy that this coronavirus is going to be something that he's talking about. And and he said that he's going to address day one because it does affect us in such a disproportionate way. We need to have this address. No, he's not going to necessarily address it from like, this is what we're going to do for women. But we know that when this virus is solved, when there's a vaccine, when it's widely distributed, we are the ones who are going to really benefit the most because we have been impacted the most. I mean, right now, because of this virus, we already see that the gender poverty gap has widened. I mean, by 2030, we're going to see more women in poverty simply because of the impact of what this virus has done. We had already projected that uh, the UN had already projected by there were going to be 206 million women worldwide in the poverty gap. Because of coronavirus, we're now talking about 232 million. That's almost... I mean, what, another 25 million, you know, or more of women who are going to be impacted simply because of this virus. So this is something that's good for us. The next thing he's talking about working on was the Paycheck Fairness Act. And so if you're not familiar with the Paycheck Fairness Act, there's something definitely that you want to think about when you're talking about your work, because this is what prohibits uh, the question of salary history. And already we know that women are not getting paid um, what they should be. They're being underpaid in lots of roles because perhaps of negotiations or just not asking for the right thing. And so when we use salary history to now already set the salary for a, a woman again, we are basically perpetuating this cycle of her not getting paid what she should. So this is so great that the Paycheck Fairness Act is right on top of the things that they're going to be talking about. And the great thing is, even for the organizations who are not sure if their company is have any pay inequities, they're providing support, technical support to help their companies gather the data that is necessary for them to be able to identify where the inequities are in their organization. Now, you know, anytime we're talking about uh, paycheck fairness and this kind of thing, salary history, um, uh, inequities, or equal pay. Pretty much we're talking about our professional women. We're talking about women who are in corporate or nonprofit organizations, but we're not talking about the large amount of women, two thirds of the women who are working at minimum wage. We're not really talking about them. And that's why one of the things that is great for us one of the things they have listed on their agenda in their platform is looking at minimum wage of taking minimum wage to $15 because one out of three women are being impacted either because they're not, they're on minimum wage or they're in a job where they're receiving tips. And tips is another thing they're going to be looking at. This $2.13 minimum that women are receiving, men as well, but anyone who's in a tip position, they're looking at raising that. So these are areas that are helping women in terms of pay in terms of salary. We know that 43% of the women are salary earners as are the head of the households. But being a head of the household doesn't necessarily only mean that you're making more money than the other, your partner in your household. It could be that you're a single person. And if you're a single head of the household and you're making less than $15 an hour, you are 
living in a poverty. So when we're looking at our gender issues, when we're looking at making changes in policies, we cannot just look at one set of women. We have to think about all the women that are in the working place. We got to think about what can we do and what can we put together to make sure these organizations that we're working with are not just focusing on one class of women, our women who are trying to get to middle-class seats, but we're also looking at our lower-skilled workers. We're looking at our junior staff. We're looking at our women who are making um, $15 an hour or not even making that. These are the women who need attention just as well. And these are opportunities that we can be looking at. The next thing that's going to be, uh, we know that they talked about was the Voting Rights Act. And why is this so important to women? Well, simply, we got them in the seat. But if voter suppression had worked, we would have not been able to vote. So I know we have the right to vote, but they have been working, different states have been working aggressively, intentionally to actually stop certain votes. And the Voting Writing Act is helping us to lift that lid. We saw what happened in Georgia, which the Stacey Abrams and the Brian Kemp um, run where there was major voter suppression, you know, that we heard the accusations around that. And now we also know that even in like in the state of Texas, where you have to have an ID card, so you um, a government ID card, not just an ID card, a government ID card so you can vote. And also where there is um, in the state of Georgia, where there's exact match or your name is thrown off because maybe you wrote your name down without your middle name and your ID card has your middle name and they just take your name off the road. These are the kind of things that the Voter Rights Act is looking to protect. They're looking to address these discriminatory practices that states are putting in place to stop certain votes. And so we can't allow that to happen. And by us being aware, we can start putting things in place. So you, you're saying, well, um, I don't, you know, well, how does that help me as a diversity person? How, what am I going to do about helping the Voting Rights Act? How does that impact the work I'm doing? Maybe you're just going to be doing awareness. Maybe you can have, you know, you plan programs of drives. But, you know, this is a right that we have. And for women, we have not had this right very long. And for Black women, we definitely had to fight twice to get this right. So therefore, we cannot just ignore this. So these are their major campaign um, items that they're going to be focusing on. But I want us to take another look at what's going to happen in the first 100 days. Now, he said on the platform, Biden said on his platform that one of the things that he would do was to to address the diversity and inclusion um, issue of the federal government and that this was a plan that he had in place with Obama and they would go back to that. And so that was part of their political or their campaign platform. But as we look at what's being rolled out for the first 100 days, I don't see that being part of what they're going to be discussing. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. And please, if you see it, let us know. And that is so crucial for us as women, because we know that EO came out by President Trump, which actually um, addressed uh, stereotype in sex uh 
training, any kind of trainings or conversations around maybe sex misconduct that they, you know, labeled as stereotypes. So this is something that we have to pay attention to. And of course, all other kinds of diversity training was also addressed. We know this was for the federal government, but the federal government is the largest employer. And so we need to ensure um, that this stays a part of the conversation. So that was not a part of the first 100 days. Little disappointed, was hoping to see that, but it wasn't. But so let's look at what was part of the first 100 days. Um, The Immigration Act, what they're looking at is reuniting families. And this is huge for women, right? Um, Reuniting the separated families. This is one of the things that they're looking at to do in the first 100 um, days. They are looking at the Affordable Care Act and getting that back on track. A lot of that has to do with what's going to happen in this Supreme Court judgment. His might have to make some um, adjustments to what his current plan is, um, depending on what comes out of that decision. And also looking at protection for transgender women. Now that women, that is huge, huge, huge. And really great that that is something that we're looking at in the first 100 days. And then the Valence Act Against Women, where women, they're increasing the protection that women are going to need for uh, against partners and boyfriends who have uh, committed violence against them in the past. So these are the things that we can expect in the first 100 days. Knowing that, your question is, hmm, how do I key into that? That should always be our question. When we see things that are going on, how do I key into that? How does that mean um, what the adjustments I'm going to make? This is the last quarter. How can you uh, tie these in? So my takeaways today um, on client offerings would be one, how can you um, take these and put them into a strategic plan? This is an offering you can make and looking at these various things, you can ask your um, your clients that, hey, these are the things that are about to come down the pike. Um, how are we planning for it? We know what the EO said, and maybe you're not with a government organization, but we know that in some organizations, it did kind of slow them down. We know others kept going. So strategic plans is something you can look at. Policy review. How are they, are they looking at their Affordable Care Act? What can they be doing differently when that comes out as well? Knowing that the Affordable Care Act is going to change. Look at their paycheck. So you can, you can do policy review or a uh, pay equity review because because of the Paycheck Fairness Act. Look at your policies. Are you asking um, candidates for salary history? Um, are you asking them to somehow um, negotiate for salary? So these are kind of things that you can look at and then put something in place where these things are being protected for women. And the other areas that this has been tough. This has been a tough year. And so how do we you know, do something around mental health? How do we keep employees healthy towards the end of the year? Not just physical, but mentally. And if you look at the various communities that have been impacted so hard as a result of this election cycle that we've been in, of coronavirus, of Black Lives Matter, we have to know that we need some mental health opportunities presented to these organizations so we can deal with this. We don't want to end 2020 and take these issues into 2021, but these are something that we can 
start looking at doing. Now, perhaps maybe it's not an engagement that you're proposing that's very long-term, but this engagement can be something where it's um, a facilitated uh, listening session where this way it's not um, an engagement that's going to take lots of signatures to to pull off. So it may not be a five-figure engagement, but it could be um, a four-figure engagement where at least you're ending the year with something that you can use that will take you into the new year where you can build out. So this is these are my tips for today, um, looking at how the Biden-Harris administration are, is impacting us as women. I would love to hear from you. How do you feel that this administration will impact your work and impact women? Until then, have a great day. HR leaders, we know how important gender diversity is to the competitiveness of our organizations. Throughout my career as a global HR professional, I have promoted gender diversity. Join me here for weekly conversations with industry leaders on strategies for creating a workplace where women can thrive. This is the HR for Her podcast, and I'm your host, Sable Badaki.